Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Kindled Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Williams, and this is the show where we talk about truth and grace boldly. I'm so glad you're here. Well, hey guys, it is Haley. This is episode 116. Today I am talking with Robin Dance all about her story of how questions and how God used her questions and doubts as a means to woo her back to himself. This is an amazing, incredible story for any of you who might be struggling with questions that you have been asking God or working through in your own life and faith. And I think you're going to be so encouraged and inspired by the story that Robin's going to share with us today. Before I get into the conversation for today, I want to thank today's sponsor, Rebecca Hargraves, with her book, Lies Moms Believe. Next, I want to let you know about something super fun and exciting. Kindled now has our own gear. We have got hats, shirts, what else? Coffee mugs, stickers, some really, really cute, fun items that I think you guys are going to love. You can check them out at kindledpodcast.com slash store to see the selection of items that are available in the store. And it doesn't have the Kindle logo on it. It actually has our tagline, which is truth and grace boldly. In case you don't even know about our tagline, it is truth and grace boldly. And it comes from scripture. These two verses, Ephesians 4.14. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 3.12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. I know I don't share about this much, but this podcast really does reach women all around the world. The largest number of downloads come from, of course, the U.S. and Canada. But then after that, we've got the U.K., Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, Israel, Sweden, Spain, Germany, and many others. But we're also reaching women in places like Iran, Iraq, St. Lucia, Iceland, Barbados, Dominican Republic, Tanzania, Czech Republic, Mexico, India, Bulgaria, the Netherlands, Jamaica, Singapore, Finland, Philippines, Brazil, Indonesia, France, Korea, the Bahamas. It's so cool to see how God is using Kindled, and I'm so thankful that you are here and that you're listening. And I could not do it without the support of you guys as listeners. You guys being faithful listeners allows advertisers to advertise their products to you on the show, allows me to continue to pay for editing, which I could not do with a job and three small kids, allows me to continue to spend time interviewing people and pay for podcast hosting fees. This all works together in this beautiful way and then enables me to share the truth of the gospel through stories like this one. So it really is all so connected. So anyway, back to the shop. There's some super cute designs in there. Some say boldly, some say truth and grace. Go check it out at kindledpodcast.com slash store. Thank you so much for helping me continue to run this show. Okay, here's my conversation with Robin. Before we keep chatting, why don't you just kind of tell listeners a little bit about who you are? Well, I am Robin Dance. And I am 
and author of the just released for all who wander why knowing god is better than knowing it all Longtime writer, longtime blogger. My background is marketing and PR, which I kind of sort of put aside, but it keeps finding its way back into my life mm-hmm. in little ways and in big ways sometimes. I'm a mom to three grown kids. My baby just graduated college this year and is working and off the payroll, the family payroll, and on his own. And I have another daughter and son who are. From here to Colorado, I live in mm-hmm. middle Georgia. And so I'm married to my college sweetheart for more years than I can count. Mm. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> I, there was so many little similarities between our backgrounds. I was just like, what? Are you going to say you have three girls? Because yeah, I'm, I'm marketing <laughs> in web design is kind of my bent and also met my husband in college. And I, I think there was a couple other things you mentioned, but it's cool. It's awesome that you are kind of in a new season with no kids. I like how you said on the payroll. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, you'll realize that you think you are just spending oh, so I much. You're so much money and you know yeah. baby food and formula, or if you make it on your own, or even if you're nursing and diapers, mm-hmm. or whether or not you mm-hmm. whatever. It's so expensive then, but oh my word, buckle your seatbelt. Oh man, I mean we're just at the beginning of school years, and so we have a, a kindergartner uh, next year. She'll be starting kindergarten, our first, our oldest, and as we're looking at some of our school options and considering private, we're like, okay, that, <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, and then not even just her, but in, let's see, you know, five years, we'll have three in school. It's like, oh boy, that, and then and you look at the, the total there. It's like, well, that's, we could put a kid to college, you know, we put a kid through college with that much annually. So it's just, it's crazy. But yeah, I know that's probably not even the biggest expense, you know, just life, lifestyle. Well, my husband is very left brain engineer. He keeps spreadsheets are his love language, right? So he can tell you what we've spent on education. And it is like, oh, wow, we could buy a private island for all of these. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But I wouldn't trade it, right? I've yeah, got totally. three little humans who are ama- amazing young adults. And yes. I got the kids that I hoped I would have. So oh, that's great. For it. That's so. encouraging. I know. Yeah. Uh, my husband and I have had that ch- conversation, you know, like as we talk about just sorting resources and knowing like, yeah, we, I mean, what better way to spend our money? And it doesn't mean that it has to be private school or whatever, but just right. what better way to invest than in your own kids, you know, whatever that looks like. So you just mentioned that you launched your book. Is this your first book? No, it's not. Encourage. You wrote Encourage. Well, it's my first book that is my book that has my okay. name on the cover. I have been fortunate to be published in about 10 other books, but mm-hmm. I have chapters or devotionals. Mm-hmm. I do write for Encourage, which is Dayspring's online community for women. I've been a, a site contributor to them since they started 10 years ago. I can't believe that we are 10 years old. Yeah. And it has launched a lot of careers. It has mm-hmm. been a, a place where women have really developed their writing skills and engaged with a believing community. And mm-hmm. it's so supportive of women at all stages and phases of life. That's cool. And so that yes, I guess I guess I've sharpened my writing chops as a blogger, as a writer. But you know, when when uh, you know, I've been a copywriter forever and a ghostwriter and published collateral materials for the companies that I worked for back in the day. And yeah, so, but yes, my first book. And what's fun okay. is that it it actually turned into a two book project. There's a, a prescriptive piece, a journal that companions mm-hmm. the book. And you know, the, the book is my story. It's memoir, but you know. Readers only care so much about my story. They're really interested in their own. And so that mm-hmm. journal, the companion journey guide is a journal that helps them really process their story 
as they track with maybe the things that have happened in my own life. So yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's really helpful. Actually, I started out in the journey guide only by accident because I was distracted when I opened and, (laughs) and as I was reading it, I was like, wait, where's the story? There's just lines here to write. But, uh, (laughs) but I really, I really just resonate so much with a lot of your stories. Cool. So we've kind of hinted at it, but you have your testimony I know encompasses more than just this story, but you did walk through a a season of 10 years where you really had a lot of doubt and questioning your faith. Can you pinpoint where that began or what, if anything, was the, maybe the trigger or the push of the snowball down the mountain? Was there anything like that in your life that kind of initiated that? No. And that's the hard, frustrating part. There was not a moment in time where I crossed from one point to another, to a place of belief, to a place of unbelief. You know, my story is one where I grew up in the church. I think it's fun. The book starts with my first memory in life is actually in church. I was Mary, the mother of Jesus in a Christmas pageant. And I actually remember it and have the newspaper clipping to this day of, well, a couple of them. Of in that precious that the mm-hmm. newspaper covered so a Christmas pre- pageant at a church. Yeah. Anyway, so that's all I remember is identifying as a Christian, as a believer. And mm-hmm. I, I've grown up in the South. I've lived there my whole life. And so I live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. So it is presumed that you are a believer. I know when we moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, early 2000s, when I would go out anywhere, people would invite me to church. And I'm like, one, do I look like I'm a heathen and I need saving? Or it was just the culture that just tells you something about it. So growing up in the church, you get so much by osmosis. You, you know, you're there. There is a culture of church. And even though I was in a couple of different denominations, it didn't really matter in season where I was. There is a way of doing life when you are a member, an active member of a church. Mm-hmm. So this thing with my wandering with my spiritual desert. It was not overnight. But as I began writing this story, as I actually timelined my life and began to look at parallels in my faith with what was going on in life apart from faith, so interesting to do that exercise. That's actually one of the one of the calls to action in the journey guide is for you to really consider the timeline of your life and key events and um, happenings and just the trajectory of where we go. And you know, when you start at point A, you don't know that you're going to end up at point J at some point. You just don't know Mm -hmm. it until you live it. Anyway, there's also the analogy of a frog in a pot of water. Mm -hmm. You know, if you put him in a pot of boiling water, he jumps right out. He knows he's in trouble as soon as his feet land in, in that heat. And so that would be a, you know, a belief to unbelief kind of a jump. But for me, I'm that pot in a really nice swimming pool of comfortable water. And slowly that heat gets turned up to the point where one, you finally eventually recognize that you're in a place you don't want to be. But it is slow. And it's not one thing that gets you there. I think it's a lot of things that get you there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's true that there is, like you said, a, a culture of church and even a way your life should look. I mean, you're, you're probably going to Bible studies or you're in a small group or you're bringing your kids to, you know, your BSF or whatever, all the things. And none of those things are bad, you know, and it, it's, it's not a bad thing. But I identify with that a lot because I grew up in the church as well. And I think when you don't have For a lot of us who don't maybe have like a black and white conversion experience, like there's who I was before and here's who I am now, our faith might actually go untested for 
quite a long time. And you kind of went into the season of maybe a testing or a proving of your faith in a sense. And what I think was interesting as I was reading what that looked like for you was you said, don't let the doubts push you away from God or drive you from him. But those questions need to lead you back to him. And and that's what I'm wondering about is how do you do that? <laughs> you know, and how do you, because I know a lot of people probably identify with the, the questions or the doubts, or even those, I've heard Jenny Allen talk about the 2 a.m. doubt of, is God even real? And it's like, it's Jenny Allen, you know, but even I, in my own faith, haven't known a day where I didn't know or believe in God. Sometimes find myself going, but how do I know I'm really saved? Like, how do I, I know and believe all these things, but you know, but what if it's just in my head? And what if I'm not truly following God? Or what if I don't really love him? What if I just like believe it because I should believe it? And your brain, I mean, and I think that's the enemy, you know, really causing, trying to instill doubt in us, but you can do that. You can kind of take yourself on this journey that you don't actually want to go on, but you're like, I don't know, like, God, how, I'm saying the things I'm saying the Bible, like, I'm, I'm saying, I believe in you. I hope that's enough. You know what I mean? So could you kind of share what that looked like for you? Well, I think one thing that is really critical to hear, and it's like, as I'm thinking about your listeners and how I wish that I could see them all right now, whoever's mm-hmm. listening, I wish I could see and be with them the way that I get to see and be with you in this conversation. If you're struggling with whether or not you're, you're saved, if you're questioning your salvation, people who aren't saved don't care. And so I think the very fact that you're asking that question of yourself, is it really real? Is it true? We aren't going to wrestle with things that aren't true. And I think it is the enemy. Oh, he loves to stir our, scramble our brains and get us off track. And to think that that means we aren't, right? If I'm questioning it, that means we aren't. So for me, and this was, as, as you and I have talked about, that this was a years long struggle for me, right? It was this slow evolution of, deconstructing my faith, what it was in the beginning is not what it is today. And I think that's good and healthy. But for me, early on, I was thrown a lifeline. There's a chapter in the book called Lifelines, and we all have them. I call them God winks. I call them lifelines. Mm -hmm. It is some type of tether that keeps you connected to the faith when you are wrestling, right? And Mm -hmm. so a lifeline for me early on, and it really carried me through the hardest, darkest moments in my journey. And that was when a pastor, and um, we were a relatively, we had moved to Tennessee. We were in this church. Questions were starting to rise in my spirit, in my mind, in my thinking. And he preached a sermon that had to do with doubt. Mm -hmm. And he actually said, if you're asking questions about your faith, if you are struggling with belief, if you're on that teeter-totter of belief, unbelief, God is not offended. God is not threatened. He knows how you feel and how you're thinking before you even express it out loud or back to him. And he could be using your questions and doubts as a means to woo you back to him. That blew my mind because he was speaking into the heart of where I was. And in that sermon, in those few words of encouragement, he made me feel like uh, he helped remove the shame and the condemnation that comes along with unbelief or for the believer who's grown up in the church or who's spent any time in the church. There's a measure of, we are so self-critical. The way we speak to ourselves is a way we would never talk to anyone else. And so I was hard on myself in that season. And 
suddenly I had this lifeline that told me that those questions, rather than me feeling like they were this wedge, creating a divide between me and God, suddenly I, it, it flipped it. I saw it as a bridge back to him. What mm. if, what if our questions and our doubts and our unbelief is what God is using in my life or in your life to draw us back to him, to create the means to get closer to him, not far away. Mm -hmm. That was revolutionary. So even when I continued to escalate in a downward spiral, that was early in my faith. That was a lifeline I could look back to and say, yeah, but God. And that is powerful to know, yeah, but when it comes to God, you know, regardless of what we're feeling, you know, this faith is not a feeling and yet we have all the feelings, right? Yeah. They're real. We're really experiencing them, but they aren't an indication of truth. Yeah. And so, you know, I think this conversation that you and I are having could be a lifeline for one of your listeners, not because there's anything special about me or you right. or our stories, but God could be saying, I hear you. I see where you're struggling. I know you're doubting. And listen, sister, I'm not threatened by that. I'm not offended. In fact, keep asking those questions. I want you to get to an honest faith. I want you to get rid of all the trash and the garbage attached to your faith, the the things that you've assumed because someone told you that aren't actually true, the cultural things that we do in churches. Look, no church is perfect. We're all just a bunch of people who love Jesus and trying to find our way, you know, in community with him and in harmony with him. And so God is not proud. He will use whatever means he needs to get us, to get our attention Mm -hmm. and to really bring us into closer relationship with him. That's what he desires. How many times in scripture do we see, seek me? If you seek me, you will find me. He wants to be found. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, a really important distinction that God is not proud. We are proud. And so often as strong believers, even people who are very convicted in their beliefs and their faith and very, you would say are very established. Actually, those are the people fighting the hardest to not allow doubt in, to not allow questions to say kind of, like you said, in your book, I really almost laughed at this. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. <laughs> Such a Southern, Southern thing. You know, it's kind of my grandma's church is on Southern Baptist and this, they don't say that, but they have a thing where they say, the Bible commands it. We believe it. God honors it. Tithing. <laughs> and it's just like, it's the same thing. The Bible commands it. We believe it. God honors it. Tithing. And it's just, it reminded me of that, of just that kind of like, Hey, this is how it goes. You do it. And we don't ask questions. And yes, tithing is biblical. So I don't have a problem with that, <laughs> but just how the tendency in any of us as you know Christians to kind of be afraid of those doubts and be like, Oh no, like, no, 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 no. Don't have doubt. You know, I don't want to be doubting Thomas. I don't want to be the one saying, let me put my finger in your hand, Jesus. Like, but yet he actually let him, you know? And so it's just kind of, um, it's interesting to see that a lot of times those fears are, that's not, God isn't afraid. We're afraid of those things. Right. And I think, don't you love it that we have these accounts in scripture where people question God, they, they weren't sure about what he had to say, mm-hmm. where we have a Thomas who is with Jesus and it says, prove it essentially, mm-hmm. you know, when we see a father asking Jesus on behalf of his son to heal him, Lord, I believe help my unbelief. That is an honest prayer. That is an honest declaration of the truth of your heart that God already knows. You might as well get honest with him because the only person you might be fooling is yourself. I don't, you know, I don't know, but I think we see those stories in scripture. We get to see those accounts. And for me, 
those are lifelines, you know, those are biblical lifelines because I'm like, ah, oh, I don't have to feel guilty. There were people just like me struggling with belief in scripture. And so I think that's a gift from God to, to the person who is struggling. It's an affirmation that maybe just maybe we can allow that God has a plan for our doubt. And it's ultimately for our good to strengthen our faith and to give glory to God. Yeah, that's so good. So what about for the woman who, like me, may not have had a difficult time of testing and is like, I don't know, is my faith untested? How do I know? How do I know if I could stand up in the face of the enemy's accusations or planting those questions of doubt into me? What are the signposts of mature faith that has been tested, you know, versus kind of the faith that is still needs the milk, like, you know, and is not chewing like the, the meat. Like I, I have an 11 week old. I could not shove meat in her mouth. She would <laughs> choke and she can only handle milk. And so it's almost like, I, I think of some of the challenges that we face, at, you know, and those be, being things that we could not digest, we could not digest well. What would you say to the woman who's in a place like that and is uncertain of whether her faith is unsure faith. You know, I think for that person in that age and stage of life, it's okay to be where you are right now. And again, when you have the benefit of a conversation that is pointing to future and possibility of this mm -hmm. could, maybe this isn't the case for you today, but if this becomes your experience, if this becomes part of your walk in your faith, not to fear it, but to start now, like you get a preemptive strike kind of, sort of, you know, you're getting to think about something that I did not have the benefit of thinking about when I was in my early thirties, mm -hmm. right? It never would have occurred to me that I was doing great in my faith. I was active in church. I worked at my church. I was serving and finding great joy in community with people and other believers. We were going in and showing the love of Christ to people in our community. It never would have crossed my mind that I would have fallen into a place that was as dark as it was um, when I got there. So I think what happens is, listen, life can be hard. You know, there are things that happen in all of our lives that are hard. Trials are a when, not if proposition. And maybe you have a charm life and you can get from here to 110 and never face anything that is hurtful or harmful or destructive or makes you question God or his goodness. I mean, I can't imagine that that life it would be very vanilla or maybe just wonderful. I don't know, uh, a Disney mm -hmm. movie. But I think we know that hard things happen. And if they haven't happened yet, I had some trauma early in life. So I, I got to understand that life was hard from the time, my, some of my earliest memories. I lost my mom when I was nine. And so that is traumatic. She was sick for five years before her death. And I remember her only not well, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but for someone who gets to a place and they haven't felt like they've been truly tested, or maybe they're smaller mountains that we have to endure or get through when we're younger, to know that. It is not a bad thing when it happens and that God is doing a holy, beautiful work in our lives when it does happen. We don't invite those things. We don't ask for them. But I think that if we have the mindset that when and if that happens, what I would tell you today is that buckle your seatbelt. It's probably going to get bumpy. God is along for the ride. And so I think, you, you know, you and I know that there is an enemy who is always and only against us. He knows what God has for our lives, and he will try to help us never to see that kingdom work. And 
pain happens in our lives. And when we have pain, you know, when you touch a hot stove, it hurts. That's a signal to you that you don't want to leave your hand on the hot stove because you're going to get burned and you're going to have nerve damage and you're hurting yourself. It is an indicator that something is wrong, but pain demands attention. And when we are paying attention to the pains in our lives, we aren't looking at God. And so this is almost like a warning. It's like a PS, a public service announcement. Before you get there, when that pain comes, when those disruptions come, when you're tempted to fight, you know, that flesh versus spirit battle just within your own heart and mind, is just to know, keep your eyes on Christ because that is the way through it. I mean, I didn't, I know that I was paying attention to all of the things and I knew, I mean, listen, I could have talked, I could, you would never have known this was going on when it was going on. It was very inner and isolating and awful, you know, it was all the things. And so that's why I'm so thankful that we get to have this conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think speaking it, bringing it out into the light exposes it. It diffuses its strength when we talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it gives you a way to plan in advance for very, very real spiritual battle. As I'm sure you've noticed, we as mamas have a whole host of varying voices coming at us every single day, telling us what we should and should not be doing as moms. Add to that the sometimes confusing messages we hear from church about a woman's highest calling or what kind of work we as women should be doing, and confusion, mommy wars, and overwhelm quickly abound. That is why previous Kindled guest, Rebecca Hargraves, wrote Lies Moms Believe and How the Gospel Refutes Them. In this book, Rebecca tackles 32 of the most common lies mamas today face, including lies about their children, themselves as moms, and motherhood in general, with the truth of the gospel. You will walk away not only encouraged, but also inspired by just how relevant the good news of the gospel is to your daily life. Find out more at hargraveshomeandhearth.com slash boutique, or search Lies Moms Believe on Amazon. All right, back to my conversation with Hannah. Yeah, and you talked about how, yeah, God has won the war, but the enemy tries to win as many little battles as he can. Why do we let him win any battles, you know? I mean... Yeah, you say he he knows he's lost the war over your soul, but in his few breaths left on this earth, he spends his time trying to make you lose the daily battles of faith, which I think we just all can identify with. Even if you haven't had a, a season of true testing that you could identify or something traumatic, I think it's just it doesn't even have to be trauma. It could, it could be like um, Andy Colbert talks about the little t traumas of life, yeah, you know, right? The, the daily struggle with your kids um, or that inner voice of, you know, oh my gosh, like, why is everything so hard? Why, why can't this just be easy? Whatever it may be that you're walking through the monotony of life that can be enough to cause us to go to some of those places. But yeah, that was one thing that was really interesting to me in your story is how you say that you, you never stopped going to Bible study. You never stopped showing up on Sunday and nobody would have known. And so I just thought about in my own church, you know, the people in the pews listening who are showing up with a smile on their face, their makeup done and their hair and you know, and yet inside they're just going, what if this is all a sham? What if this is all just one big waste of time in everybody here? You know, I mean, you know, there are people like that walking through those, those same thoughts. What would you say to the woman who is in that space and is, you know, and still going to Bible study and, and maybe wondering like, is there a point? Should I just stop? Is this ingenuous? You know, that sort of thing. I would strongly encourage that person to reach out to someone they trust in the faith, someone who is mature, that they know that 
will is for them. It's important to reach out to someone who you know will speak to you in love, but also temper truth with love, okay? Because there are people out there who would hurt you that you could go to. And not because they're evil, bad people, but maybe they aren't for you kind of people. Or I know I didn't reach out to anyone, okay? Mm -hmm. And I wish I could go back. If I could do something differently, it would be to go back and say, find the one. And I think it's good for women to find another woman to confide in. Sometimes if you're if you're married or in a in a relationship, it can be so maybe that person isn't the best person to process that with because I think mm-hmm. someone like you, a woman like knows how a woman thinks. Men can't think like we do. And so I, you know, I eventually did talk to my husband about this, but I think a woman speaking truth in my life would have been wonderful. Because, well, and this is the thing, if you are that person wandering, give yourself grace, understand, give yourself the freedom to get honest and real with yourself and with God. And something that I think it is unique in my story is, as you say, you know, I wouldn't have presented, no one would have known this was going on. And oddly, I actually did seek God for my answers. And I think that's, that's just his providence. That's his kindness mm-hmm. to me. What, that's his story for me, his plan for me. And what I mean by that, in my unbelief, I still was praying. It's crazy to me. And, and particularly after I told Tad and, you know, and he really challenged me, you know, he, he saw it as a reaping what you're sowing. I'm not really, I'm doing these things but they're so external. They weren't heart change. They weren't renewing of my mind and transforming me. It was more of a, even though I would have argued against a work-based faith, that's really what was going on. It was box checking. It was doing, it was doing all the right things with that expectation that comes along with church membership or, you know, I'm using air quotes over here, but I was not kind to myself in that season. I was really hard on myself. I didn't give myself the freedom to understand that I was getting honest with God so that he could do something with me. And when you begin, it's all about reframing the way you think of your circumstance. And so, so for instance, you and I've already talked about what if we reframe our doubts rather than being a wedge to divide us in our relationship with God as a bridge to connect us is huge. Why don't you, if you are the doubter, if you're the one struggling in your faith, it does not mean a categorical dismissal of your salvation. You know, it could be the exact opposite of that. So why not allow for the opposite of what you're believing right now? Because Mm -hmm. you've got that enemy, you know, you've got this Satan is hissing in your ear and he's telling you lies that are credible because you know how, how you really are. You know, your sin propensity, you know, the ways that you make, uh, you construct idols of good things. We can make church service an idol. It's a good um, thing. In and of right. itself, it's it's not bad. It actually is a good thing. But depending on what we do with it, you know, our children, our husbands, our work, our fitness, yeah. so many things can become idols. Mm-hmm. And what does an idol do? It demands worship. It demands your attention. The same way that pain does, not that pain is an idol, but it takes your eyes off of God. Yeah. And so, again, for the believer who is struggling, for the woman who's struggling and feeling like, well, I'm right here. None of this is doing it for me. Give yourself grace. Allow that God may be doing a transformative work in you through your doubt. And to recognize if you're asking those questions, people who aren't saved aren't going to care whether or not they're saved. They just yeah, aren't. That's, that's a, great, a great kind of litmus test, maybe. And not to be like that's enough. And okay, cool. I'm saved. I'm not going to worry about it. Obviously you need to follow those thoughts paths to the end of themselves. Like you said, and be honest about it and not 
lie to yourself because you're certainly not lying to God. You know, he's right. like, I he's know. not, he is not falling for it, you know, and, and we often do fall for our own um, excuses that we make for ourselves or the reasons we tell ourselves we're doing things. Oh, well, it's a good thing or it's a passion he's given me, but it's so easy to let that thing become the box that you check that tells you whether or not you're a good Christian or whether or not you're doing a good job. Yeah. So I think that that's just really, it is a reframing. And I think that's a helpful tool for anyone who's listening to recast that reality that you may be walking through as not necessarily you're falling away and that, you know, God is letting you go. And, um, you know, we would both say like, we, we, we don't even believe that God can lose you except uh-huh. that that's not necessarily what's happening. You know, what, what might be happening is he's actually driving you deeper and closer into relationship with him. You know, I know I say, you know, when you think about wandering outside of the faith, wandering is just, it's taken the long way to get there, right? Mm-hmm. You're taking your time. You're, you're hitting a lot of different high points, low points along the way. It's just, it's the long way back. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's wrong. That just means that's what your life looks like. And so yeah. it's not a bad thing. And I think it's good. Like if you're lucky enough, if you are, there are two words that are so hard for me to use and they are lucky and blessed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Um, my friends right. know that I don't, uh, that I do not like that word. And they're, and, and when they read the book, they're like, uh, you don't like the word, but you sure did use it a lot. And I'm like, I can't yeah. find a better word. I, you know, when I find the better word, I need to create it. I'll use it then. But for now, blessed is good. To be the person that, and I know, you know, Christians aren't supposed to talk about luck, but I just love the word. Sometimes it fits. Right, right. If you are that, if someone reaches out to you, if they trust you with this part of their story, mm-hmm. you don't have to be a great apologist for the faith. Your job is not to convince them that God is real and that they are saved. You know, that is not your job at all. You get to point them to Jesus. And the best way for you that person who is in that privileged position of walking this out with someone who's wandering is to be close to Jesus yourself, because you're going to reflect him. You're going to reflect his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness, Mm -hmm. his truth telling. The closer you are to Jesus, those people need us to be close to Jesus, because what if we're the only Jesus they're seeing in that season, you know? So you don't have to, you know, the tendency is to worry about the person or to be defensive or to panic when you hear that someone is thinking about walking away from their faith, from God, from the church, whatever they may, that might mean. And don't worry, pray. Worry has never accomplished a thing. And so, you know, we're very quick, you know, you feel like you aren't doing enough when you pray, unless you are a great prayer warrior. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it's enough. And yet, I wonder how many times that word is used in scripture. How many times are we told to pray because that draws on behalf of the person who's struggling, we are interceding for them before God. And the ah, this was such a great revelation or a great discovery for me is to understand that Jesus is praying for us. He, yeah. We know that he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. His expectation, his desire is that we would return. It is, um, you know, again, it's when, not if. His expectation is that we come back. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful expectation to know that he says that. And I think it's so important. For us to remember who we are and whose we are in light of God, you know, know, I'm sure you've had conversations about our identity before. Mm -hmm. And so what is it that we're believing about ourselves? Are we believing what we feel, what the world is saying as we make these comparisons that are not based in truth, you know, with other people? Or are we really just taking the word of God, 
seeing what he says about us and then holding on to that. That is right. a good, that's a great oh exercise. My gosh. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, we can know all these things as facts, but until we have walked through some of these situations, we don't realize what good news it is. Like even the, what you just said about the feelings and okay, well, I feel like my sin is so great and my faith is so small that I don't know if I am a Christian. If that thought crosses your mind, you know, you're okay. First off, all right, I'm feeling this way. It's a feeling. All right. I know my feeling isn't necessarily a fact. It's not true. It might be valid, but it's not a fact. It might be real, right? but it's not absolutely true in the sense that God's word is true. And so, okay, well, if God's word is true and my feeling is just a feeling, it says that if I have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, that I will be saved. Okay. I'm going to do that. Oh, look, okay. I must be saved because I did it. And I, it's, not, <laughs> it's not a, it's not um, a work, but rather a trusting that like God's word is true and it's truer than your feelings. And in that moment of my feelings are actually leading me, they're, they're kind of like pulling the wool over my eyes and, and making me feel like I can't see in the dark. And the reality is that you're right. You can't, but God has given you the flashlight. He has said, here, look at my word. Here is, here is the light and let me show you the path out. And it's Jesus. And until you're in that moment of, I actually really need this to be true. It's kind of, it's all just sort of fluff. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's trite sayings and things that you, you know, as a, well, for me growing up in the church, I, I know inwards and outwards, backwards and forwards could recite them to you. Just like you could have, when you were walking through the season, you could have said all of this and nobody would have been the wiser. Right. But until you're in that moment of actually needing it to be true for you, I think that is where your what what your story demonstrates is that like God actually enabled this to deepen your faith and then allow you to be kind of a beacon in the darkness, reflecting his light, you know, showing others the truth of of who he really is and how he really draws people to himself. And he's not afraid of their questions. And that is why this this book is a blessing. And I, I know you don't like that word, but I, I have to use it. Hashtag. Hashtag. I know. Right. Like I said, there's not a better word. And, you know, and I guess one thing that is great to hold on to, I think a lot of times that we act when we're feeling a thing. So, for instance, in a marriage, if you are feeling like you don't love your spouse anymore, then you act and you separate and then whatever comes after that, right? Because you you believe the truth of the moment that that was the only truth that could truth that could ever be that you weren't happy right, right then or whatever. So you act on it. When you're struggling in your faith, you believe that this is going to be forever. You can't see, you can't see that it will ever change. When you're in it, when you're hurting, when you're treading that water, you it's hard to believe that one day it will be different. But I can promise you where you are today if you're struggling in your faith is not where you're always going to be. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing to hang your hat on. I mean, it's the same thing. We aren't just standing still. We're going to walk forward in our homes to the next thing, to the grocery store, to church. You know, we aren't just going to stand in the same place, literally, but figuratively and spiritually, we aren't going to stay in the same place either, you know? And yeah. so that that's hope to me that where I was in that season, it felt like it was my forever. Mm-hmm. But again, that was just a feeling. It wasn't my forever. Right. Yeah. Man, so helpful. So... Let's see. So you also, in relation to this, that what we've been talking about, you, you said in the book that you failed to notice when practicing your faith had given way to performance. Um, I know this is really tied into what we're talking about, but you know, that's something that I, I'm a super, I I'm like you, not, not necessarily type a, but very driven, very performance driven achievement oriented. Like I can achieve 
I have a high capacity. So like I can handle a lot. And so then you get to that breaking point and you're like, oh, I can no longer handle it. You know, what would you say are, is there any sort of guidelines or helpful like red flags that you would say, this would be an indicator that your faith is not just something you're practicing, but rather has become performance driven for you? That is such a great question. And I actually had a conversation earlier today with a woman that not necessarily answers this question, but speaks to it. I think some indicators that you are in this place where you might be headed for trouble, you know, to a, a place of wandering is you become a martyr in your faith. You become judgmental toward other people and cynical and skeptical of their motives. Mm-hmm. You can become a victim. And, and that is one thing we railed against in our, in our parenting. My husband and I were very intentional with the choices we made with our kids. We, we always parented with an end goal in mind. And as our kids were old enough, now you, this is not true for young kids necessarily, but as they get older and when you can actually have conversations with them, mm-hmm. if they played the victim, boy, we jerked a knot in their heads. We didn't bail them out. We let them feel the pain of their poor decisions. We made sure that they understood when they were blaming a teacher or a coach or a friend mm-hmm. for whatever, that they had responsibility in it and it wasn't a matter of fault finding. But that is exactly where the place that I got to in this and it was an indication of that something was not well with me and my faith because I judged your service in the church. I judged how you, how you presented as a Christian. And if it didn't fit my standard of performance, then I made a judgment against you, but I could also be critical of you. I think those are, and if you're finding yourself critical with other people in the faith or like, you're the only one who does everything at church. You're the only one who always says yes to service. And, and they have four, kids, how come they aren't keeping the nursery or why aren't they leading a small group or teaching Sunday school or whatever the thing is that you can do in terms of service. When you get to a place of judgmental or critical or harsh spirit, if you're checking off boxes for other people, if you're playing the martyr, you know, all those things, if you're becoming a victim, if you are comparing yourself, those are all indicators. And it may not necessarily be on a path to spiritual wandering, but there's a those are some checks that are should be pretty big red flags waving if, if finding yourself doing any of those things. And and let's like follow that thinking because it, why is that true? Why would, you know, overly judgmental or overly critical, why would a spirit that is critical of others lead you be a, be a red flag that, Hey, you're, you're not, your faith is not well. Well, I'm thinking, I mean, we are assuming a place that is only reserved for the Lord. Right, and right. so he is, it is not, it is never my responsibility or obligation to judge another, to make, make an assessment of if they're doing it right. Mm-hmm. Oh my word. You know, we're trying to rob God of who he is mm-hmm. in our lives and we're free because, you know, that's, those are pretty hefty responsibilities. If you get down to it, mm-hmm. if, you know, if, we, if that was really our role, we couldn't do it. There's no way we could do it. And so there is so much freedom in letting God be God. And then us right. just doing what he asked of us. It is liberating to me to get to be yeah. who we are in Christ. It is not confining. It is not rule following. If we're rule following, then there's mm-hmm. probably, that's probably another indication that something is not well. You know, in my own life, when I have been overly judgmental, overly critical, looking for the speck in someone else's eye, you know, it is what it really does for me is it, yes, it it makes me God in, in my little fake universe, right? Or like my, the sphere of my existence. Okay. Well now I'm, I'm playing the judge and I'm playing God here. 
um, which also means I have to be perfect. Okay. And so it's like, without even intentionally signing up for that, we do because, because we're created by God, by a perfect being who actually has put his law and his word in our hearts and minds. And so I think that by default, we will, we will recognize if I'm going to be on the throne, I've got to actually, I've got to be fulfilling all of these things perfectly. And then when we, when, not if, but when we fail, we will be so, you know, everything will be so broken and shattered kind of within us that we cannot let anybody know that that's what has happened. So we will cover, pretend, ice over everything, gloss over everything as though, oh no, I would never do that, you know? And then we're the chief of sinners. We're the Pharisees. We're the ones. And so I, I mean, I, that's happened to me in my own life, you know, so many times in different scenarios, both with specific sins and just generally not seeing myself as the, in the right place I am, which is the chief sinner. I am the, like, if you don't see yourself as the chief of all sinners, then you've, you got a problem because I I am a brother to Paul. I tell you, I can can feel all of that pain. Right. Yeah. I just, I I really identify with that and think that's a, a really good, I've found that to be true in my own life. Like when, when I am feeling the most critical and the most aware of others' faults is often when I'm headed for a bit of a breakdown, you know, and and I'd rather take the breakdown than would certainly rather go through that and be driven back to the cross than be allowed to kind of like exist in that place by myself for sure. But yeah, I mean, maybe if there's any sisters listening who feel that in their spirit, like let that really may be the Holy Spirit convicting you that you need to ask God to show you really where you are in light of the cross and how in need we all are of that sacrifice, you know, and how we are not, God did not ask us to be the Holy Spirit in our sister's heart or life. (laughs) No. And that is freedom. I tell you, I don't want it. Once you see it, you don't want any part of it. You know, when you're blind to it, you're blind to it. Yeah. Yes. My final kind of question for you would just be, uh, you know, you mentioned you did de- deconstruct your faith. And this is something we, we see in here so much today, sadly, in the Christian church, that leaders are not just deconstructing and reconstructing towards truth, but deconstructing and leaving it in pieces on the floor and, you know, and walking away altogether or renouncing. And so, you know, while we are wanting to say, like, yes, doubt is, God is not afraid of doubt and God is not afraid of questions. How can someone do that well and not, you know, leave the faith and not how, how, how do we actually engage in that with people? Or if we are doing that ourselves, it feels dangerous, feels like dangerous territory. And maybe it is. And that, that is, you know, we're trusting God to see us through and and finish our faith as you know, his word says he does, but do you have any thoughts on that? Well, one of the biggest takeaways for me in life following that season and looking back at it through a redemptive lens of what God actually accomplished through something that was very painful for me Mm -hmm. is to recognize that he is a no matter what kind of faithful God. He cannot be faithless because he is only faithful and it's absolutely not dependent on me and my faith or my lack of, right? His faithfulness never changes. And so we need to be truth seekers. I think we do live in a crazy world 
in the church, the church universal is hurting. Mm -hmm. There are so many different, oh gosh, I don't even want to start that conversation because we'd be here another hour and I'm not, I'm not smart enough to have it really, but there are some grievous things going on in the church in the name of God. I think it is just an example of, or maybe an indication that Satan is good at what he does and he's finding new ways to blow holes in Mm -hmm. belief. And, you know, he is doing a great job of causing us to major on the minors and to take our eyes off. Ultimately, it's about taking your eyes off of God because we're checking the temperature of the room. We're looking at what Christian thought leaders are saying. We're looking at how they're evolving in their faith. And it's really cool to maybe distance yourself from the word Mm -hmm. or to, you know, evangelical can in some circles is a, is a, bad word now, or, you know, people are like, I even don't even know how to identify myself as a believer. Sometimes right. am, am I a follower of Christ? Am I a Christian? Am I a believer? Right. Am I a seeker? So baggage, right. You, you know, there's so many negative connotations to those words because there's been a lot of hurt and a lot of damage done from people in the church, right. To people mm-hmm. who may be outside of it or think differently than them. And so, but those are all distractions. And I think it's the enemy throwing flaming missiles all over the place, anywhere he can get us to pay attention to the thing and not pay attention to God. And so I'm trying to pay attention to God. I'm trying not to listen to the latest and greatest person on the stage, front and center in the faith. I am trying to seek God and his word, and I'm begging him to reveal himself to me. Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be, you know, things are shifting. There's Our culture is shifting. We're a post-modern culture. Mm -hmm. And so Culturally speaking, if you look, um, there was a Barna study, and I don't have it in front of me, but I most people most about. most people struggle with doubt. They question mm-hmm. their church. You know, how did they? You know, and I hate to say the cool kids club. I mean, you know, some of the cool kids are sitting at a really interesting table, and it's not rooted in scripture. And so, yeah. you know, what is it that you value? Where are you seeking truth? Are you seeking it in other people's ideas and mm-hmm. thoughts and opinions and their faith deconstruction? Are you looking to God to form that in you? So that that's just what I get back to. Let's look at the word. Let's look at God. Let's pray for him to reveal himself to us because we don't need to look to other people to reveal right. how God is revealing himself. We need to look to God to see how he's yeah. revealing himself. That's so true. A secondhand faith, yeah, is not a faith at all. If no. yeah, you're, and I've heard it said like, why are we why are we satisfied with the crumbs when we've been invited to eat at the table? You know, we're just, we're just feasting on the crumbs of, of other people's meals. And, and in a lot of cases, they're actually poison, they're poison crumbs. (laughs) So, but we're still, we're still eating them. And so, yeah, that's just, yeah, that's tried and true advice to go always back to scripture and always seek God first. You know, the Bible doesn't command us to seek ye the woman or the man with the most followers on Instagram. So no. And I think um, Satan loves, I mean, social media can be a great thing, but he sure can have fun with distracting us from the most important things. So yeah. Final thought is, I don't know if you're familiar with Nabil Qureshi. He, he actually passed away a few years from ago from cancer, but he was a devout Muslim and he went through a period in his young adult life where he, it's a book called, he wrote called, um, seeking Allah, finding Jesus. And he really truly was, he was examining his faith as a Muslim and was just digging in deep. And the Muslim faith actually accepts 
all of the Old Testament, or at least I believe most of the Old Testament as true. They just don't believe Jesus. They believe Jesus was a prophet, but not this, the Messiah. And so as he was really digging into his faith and such, he found himself at a, a point where he realized that so much of what he had believed was based on like the oral tradition and what he was told. But when he read the actual texts, how violent they were and, and just what a bad guy Muhammad was. And so he was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pray to God, Allah. And he said, like, I'm praying to you, Allah, God, whoever you are, please reveal yourself to me. Please reveal yourself. I don't know who you are, but reveal yourself. And I, and I'm asking you to do it through specific dreams and through a vision of some sort. Like if you do that, I'll know that you're real and I will, I will believe in you, whoever you are. And God, the actual true God actually did reveal himself wow. to Nabil in a dream and in a vision. And you can read about it in his book, but it's just incredible because even a guy who to that point had never read the Bible, had never, you know, didn't know about the Trinity, didn't know about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. He, he believed that Allah was God. He believed in the Quran. He believed in those religious texts as, as true he truly prayed to he prayed to God or who he thought he, he was asking for the true God to reveal himself and the true God did. So it's exactly what you're saying that you asked God, you know, even if you're doubting, you were still asking God, like whoever you are, whatever you are, show me what is true. And you say that he did and he does. And I think that's just the, if there's one thing we could leave people with today, it is seek God and you will find him. You know, he will yeah. not hide himself from you. Um, he, he wants to be found. It's, this is not an evil game of hide and seek, but, Mm-mm. but we often go so many other places before we actually ask him. Right. He's our, la- He's our yeah. last resort rather than right. the first, our first. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. So, I mean, just, yeah, I saw some parallels in both your guys' stories of, of asking for God to show himself to you and, um, and him being faithful to do that. And it's just, a great reminder for those of us who may not necessarily feel that we're not seeing God. You know, we may feel like, yeah, I'm, well, I'm good right now. I don't have a doubt, but just like you said, it's not a matter of if, but when you do to remember this conversation, maybe come back right. to it. And um, definitely, even if you're not in a place like that, I would totally encourage listeners to read this book for all who wander, because I think it will be really helpful for you. And even if that doesn't turn out to be your story, you will certainly encounter people whose story it is and hopefully kind of know how to walk through that with them better because of Robin's story. Oh, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, sharing your story through this book. And it's just a really big, big encouragement and hashtag blessing to have it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for our time. I've really enjoyed yeah. our conversation. We need to yeah. go and play somewhere sometime yeah. in between here and where you are. So fun. Yes. Well, thanks Robin. Thank you guys so much for listening in today. Next week, I'll be back with another episode and I'll be talking with Michael Kruger about his book, The Ten Commandments of Progressive Christianity. So it's going to be another amazing episode. Have an awesome week and I will see you back here next Monday. Until then, come find me on Instagram at hayleywilliams.kindled and say hi. Look forward to connecting with you guys online. Bye.